Say It With Guitars. I'm your host, Pete Cornelius. Each episode, I'll be digging deep and getting to hang with some of Australia's finest guitar pickers, songwriters, producers, collectors, and makers. I look forward to bringing you these fun conversations and hope you enjoy Say It With Guitars. Hey guys, thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Say It With Guitars. Uh, Hopefully everyone enjoyed the last episode with Fiona. Seems that she's been to California and back and played a couple of gigs over there um, since the last time we talked, which was cool. She played with a guitar player called Nathan James, who made a guitar out of a washboard. <laughs> he plays some really sweet guitar. And he was also in the late, great James Harmon blues band. So check that out, folks. Great guitar player, Nathan James. And today's guest is Kane Danelli from the band 1920 high energy trio that um, crank out a hell of a noise so it's good to have a chat with Kane and I hope you enjoy the chat before we crack into today's show I'd like to shout out to our sponsor Mr Billy Tarrant from Tarrant Guitars Billy's an amazing luthier and he makes some real sweet instruments I'm lucky enough for him to have built me a double O size acoustic guitar which I've dragged all around the country and it's sounding better than ever. So yeah, check out tarrantguitars.net.au. Tessie's one-stop custom workshop for custom-made guitars, all guitar repairs and services. Let's get into the show. All right, I'd like to welcome to Say It With Guitars podcast, today's guest, Mr. Kane Donnelly. How are you, Kane? Good man, yourself? Yeah, I'm doing really good. Doing really good. good. Struggling through the winter. You know, it's pretty fresh down here in Tassie. But I think today is the shortest day. So Great. Yeah. You need nipple warmers and all the warmers down your way. <laughs> I do. So how's it going up your way, mate? What are you up to? Yeah, today? going good. Going good, man. Well, I'm just cleaning the house. I've had the vacuum out, you know, doing my, my pants off vacuuming, singing <laughs> tunes around the house. Um, while the kids are at school. So during the week I do the dad thing and then on the weekend I get to being a rock and roll band. Yeah, living the dream. Totally, man. It's great. So how how do you go during the week? Um, how like I know that when I was touring a bit more constantly, it was like come Monday and Tuesday. I just wanted to go back on the road. Sometimes I just had that sort of you know because it's it's pretty fun when when things go to plan. You're hanging out with your mates. You're having a good time. You're meeting good people. You know it's a bit of a come down sometimes. Um, how do you balance the, the family and the and the rock and roll? I don't know if you can balance it. You know, I, I, it's a constant juggle and I speak to so many different people that are doing it, female, men, fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters. It's all, it's feast or famine. So I think it, your attention gets pulled in one direction more so than the other, but then it all evens out in the end, I think. But I love, I love the time with my kids and I love doing the school drop-off and making the lunches. And for me, it's a leveller, you know, like yeah. we, to give an example, we did 
seven gigs in in one weekend and it was amazing like massive gigs the biggest one we played with cold chisel there's like seven and a half thousand people we got off stage thinking we're the best band ever you know thinking this is it we've made it success and then i get home and my my twins were toilet training at the time and they're three and they'll love this story in 15 years time but there was just (laughs) shit all through my backyard like they were naked just shitting themselves and i was like you know what i can't have an ego yeah they're such yeah so how I how I deal with it, I don't know. I just it's a constant juggle. When they're asleep, I'm working. Um, I try not to work doing the admin or any of the back end stuff we have to do when they're awake, because I want the time to be their time. So yeah, I just sort of make it fit. That's great. Yeah. It it's a total juggle. Um, but I, like you said, it's a real leveler. It's it keeps you honest, it keeps your ego in check, and you know, kids. A total truth machines, you know, they just tell it how yeah, it is yeah. and there's such, yeah, I, th- I think it was one of the better things that I did for my personal life, having oh, little grommets. The best. I, it's the best thing I've ever done and I th- the best, the most I've learnt about myself and about life and all that sort of thing and, yeah, the truth bombs. Like we we recorded a song recently with someone else and I said, oh, we recorded this song with Aloe and they the kids went to his, his kid's party and they're like, oh, yeah, that's good because he's a real singer. I was like, what? <laughs> I'm singing and putting this food in your mouth, you little bastards. Like, Jesus, <laughs> cut me a break. But no, fair enough. You know, they loved it because daddy doesn't, they don't really get what I do for work, but I try and tell them, you know, why I'm away is so they can eat and we can live and have heaters yeah. on and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, the heaters must be on. Yeah, they're cranked constantly. So maybe can we, can we get a little bit of a backstory, Kane, on on how you got into the guitar and and why and did you have any you know sort of light bulb moments that you thought you know I'm going to do this thing I'm going to play the guitar I'm going to write songs or was there any mentors yeah. around you or like give us a little uh, little brief history of of the cane yeah so i the reason i've started playing guitar i was dressed by my mother till I was about 12, 13, you know, skivvy with a middle part. Oh, skivvy. And I wanted a girlfriend. Yeah, like a big, I looked like the... Um, like a wiggle. I grew up, yeah, I did, I did. I was like the farm boy wiggle. We had a little farm out of, um, out of outside of Goulburn and I wanted a girlfriend and I, I had an older brother who's like, oh, check this out and just showed me like a really simple boogie on a guitar. Yeah. And I was like, that's, it just hit me. And I think a lot of people that are still doing this, I've been doing this a long time now, it's one of those moments that changes your life. It completely altered the direction of anything I was going to do, wanted to do, and it's all I've ever wanted to do since. <clears throat> and so during high school, I played in a bunch of bands. I was always always pretty nervous and um, the quiet guy up the back and music gave me a lot of confidence. I played in punk bands and it wasn't until the Golden Blues Festival when I was 15 that we... Um, we won the busking at the blues competition, just my brother yep. and I. Yeah. And what that meant was you get a paid gig at the next year. And that's sort of what set me on this path. I saw yourself. I saw guys like Jeff Lang. Um, the biggest influences early on, um, probably Jeff Lang and Matt Corcoran. I remember. Yeah. He, he, he's not doing it anymore, but he played like a, a guitar on his lap and simple slide, but it was cool. It was vibey and people just got into it. It was heavy too. It was like um, thick and yeah. distorted and slow and grindy yep. sort of. Yeah, I remember yeah. first hearing him when I was young too and we we did a support show for him in, in Launceston 
with uh, Marco Goldsmith as well from Blue Heat. Yes, was on the on the bill. Yeah, and I remember seeing <clears throat> Matt Corcoran like play this op shop, you know, cheap guitar, and he was just to to do his vibrato. He'd bring his right hand over and like <laughs> wiggle it with his <laughs> wiggle his slide with his right hand. I thought that was kind yeah. of a weird yet cool kind of technique. Yeah, he was totally self-taught. No tech, like his own technique. I won't say bad technique because what even is that? He was just cool and it it showed you, and no disrespect to him, but if he could do it, anyone could. And I mean that, you know, he was just doing it and it was real. And I was like, you know what? I don't have to be the best guitar player. I don't have to be anything but myself. And I think that it really opened a lot of doors. Yeah, nice. So so your brother Heath, isn't it? Yes. Did he he have a few guitar tricks up his sleeve to... To, to learn off? Yeah, he did. He, he had a few and I, I'm, I'm self-taught. So we had a, a library. Back when YouTube wasn't a thing, we had a library yeah. in Goulburn and um, I, I learned, taught myself from Tab and they had a bunch of books in the library. And my, my favourite one was this flamenco guitar book and I couldn't really read music so I didn't know the timing which is probably why my timing's so shit now. But um, <laughs> I, I, learned, I learned to play with my fingers um, from that and then... I went to a, a different high school in Wollongong, which was a performing arts high, and they had some really cool bands. They had a, an orchestra that I played guitar in, and we were doing like Metallica stuff. Um, they had stage bands and jazz bands, so I learned a lot, um, so much so that I chose to do U12 over two years just because I really wanted to lap it up. Yeah, cool. Um, and then from there I went to TAFE. Um, just I didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to do music, um, and there was a performance course there that, I lasted about three or four months and I, I'm a doer, not just sit there and tell me about it. So um, I yep. met a drummer there and we started this little blues duo and called 1920 15 years ago now. And um, we just traveled in a Toyota Camry pulling all our gear behind us and played every goddamn place we could. <laughs> yeah, you guys were busy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we were playing, we were playing six nights a week. Yeah. Um, and I know, you know, 30 years ago, everyone was playing, you know, 10, 12 times a week, but for, to play six times a week now is just unheard of. But um, 10 years ago, we were doing that um, and just we drove eight times around Australia um, just doing little three-hour pub gigs and then a couple of festivals and then it just built from there. Yep. So what, what brought you guys together, you and, you and Jason, your, the original duo? Did you guys have a love for a certain style of music? Because that was that around the time of, say, the White Stripes and I guess early Black Keys? Like there was a lot of duos I guess was was that a bit of a yeah. uh, inspiration or were you guys kind of just doing your thing and just so happy yeah to- it wasn't actually I, I didn't really like those guys until recently um right. it was just that I saw him being keen and I was keen and he he literally just played a 10 inch snare drum like it wasn't even a drum kit and I think <laughs> I even played the stomp box so it was yeah I don't know why he said yes to it to like but we just you know we got paid to travel around Australia and play music and drink beers. It was amazing. Yeah, it's a good way to see the country as a... It is. And, it, you know... Sorry, man. Yeah, yeah. especially... That's all right. We, was, we were sort of homeless at the time. Like, we were living with our parents and we didn't really have any expenses. So it was like, well, let's just hit the road. And um, it showed me and it, it sort of grounded me in being an entertainer first to overcome those sort of environments because they're pretty pretty harsh like you walk into a room and they're hard dudes sitting at the bar with their backs to you you've got to find a way to get them 
on board. Otherwise, <laughs> we, we were scared we wouldn't get home at some at some gigs. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure you can relate to that. You you rock in and they've got all the high views and, oh, you've got a lot of gear. And just those <laughs> yeah. classic comments that you hear. And, um, yeah, so it taught us to get them on side real quick. Tell us a little bit about maybe things that you might have learnt on the road as a young performer, like guitar-related things or things about running a yep. business, you know, I think. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I guess when we started, I always, I was adamant we wouldn't be a covers band and we played a lot of venues that would only have covers, but we made our songs, um, we, we sort of played them in a way that people on a Friday or Saturday night drinking 10 beers could get into. And so... We were really conscious of that. I never wanted to be a covers band because I saw so many people who were amazing get trapped in that. And so that was always the thing. And we always wanted to make money. I, it was not a, the motivation obviously was to be to, to create and all that sort of thing. But if if it was for exposure or, oh, this is a free gig, but, you know, you'll get more gigs from it. It was just a simple no. We, we just stood our ground on it. Yeah, cool. Um, and we ran it as a business. And it, we ran it from a business from the start. Um, and I think it's really important to do that because it's it's a music business. It's not the you, you can't pay rent with creativity unless you're getting paid for it, you know. So yeah, um, we were super conscious of that. And and money's not a dirty word in our industry. It's it's totally cool to be motivated by that. It's the best job in the world, yes. But at the same time, you've got to be able to eat from it. And so every gig we learn something. I'm still learning things um, from gigs, and I think using that that learning to, to, to motivate and also inspire for the next time. I think whether something's good or bad, what's the learning behind it? You know, you might've traveled 10 days, uh, 10 hours in a car and then you get there and your amp's blown up and the PA doesn't work or the, the publican or the owner's a dickhead. And okay. You could get the shits with that or what's the learning here? You know, don't, don't get caught up in it. Um, yeah. Every gig you learn something. Yeah. And yeah, I remember, uh, and you know him too, Doug McLeod said to me, an amazing um, blues player from the States, he said, because I asked these guys, what, what's some advice? And he said, um, don't write what you don't know about and never play a note you don't feel. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. In only the way that Doug could say that, you know, it's, yeah. it's, um, it's so important to do that. And that if you're genuine and real, that shines across. We've all seen amazing musicians who aren't, they're playing the notes and they're playing them fast or they're playing them well. But if they don't believe, you don't believe as a punter. Yeah, man. So it's sort of, yeah. Wise words. Absolutely. Yeah. Take a lot from that. So speaking of small pubby gigs, you guys probably haven't done many small pubby gigs for a while. You guys are um, 
smashing out the festival circuit for the last, I don't know, what do you think, five, six, seven, eight years, yeah. something like that? It's been a while and we did, before COVID, we did 60 separate festivals in two years. It just sort of it got to a point where we were doing three a weekend, um, pardon me, which was amazing. And I think from a business perspective, we marketed ourselves and pushed ourselves as the party band and everything we do online, everything we promote, look like, sound like is that. Like that's our, for want of a better word, that's our product. I love sitting down and playing slow acoustic songs, but that doesn't get you on a festival stage at nine o'clock at night, um, earning the money that you can to fly around the country. So well, it, it, I, it doesn't for me. So we, we love what we do, but we're very conscious of um, the way we look and sound um, reinforcing um, what we are. And that's a party band. Was that a happy accident? Do you think? Like when, yeah, I think, it, yeah. Yeah, I think it was. It was sort of we noticed early days in those little pubs that if you are the party band, it doesn't matter if they don't know the songs, they're having a good time. Um, and so that morphed into, okay, we're getting these gigs, let's put on a show, let's do all the tricks and that sort of thing. But then it just happens organically. Like it started out, I guess, contrived and that sort of stuff didn't stick. You know, like I'd started lighting my guitar on fire, but it was just a bit lame. <laughs> um, and now our double bass player swings it around and does all this cool stuff that he just sort of came up with in the moment. And I think it's grown organically. Um, but, yeah, definitely started out a conscious decision and now it's just sort of grown into this beast that it just happens and we don't know what's going to happen at a gig now. <laughs> it's it's always a wild ride watching you guys perform. Um, yeah, it is. Johnny's up on his bass and Sid's, you know, acting like he's 18 again. So that's great. Yeah, exactly. He loves it. Yeah, that's cool. And it definitely does change the way you probably write songs now, the way you record, um, the lyric content. So the whole thing would have changed, no doubt, along the way, would have evolved into what it has become purely to the fact that that's what your audience is um, feeding off. That's, that's what works for you guys. That's cool. You found your little yeah. niche and you're yeah. working hard at sustaining that and, you know, making it entertaining and, you know, finding new ways to, to do things you might have just brushed over, like, you know, before. So it's cool. And I've noticed you guys have got a different drummer at the moment. Is that mainly because sort of Sid's off busy doing other things? Yeah, so Sid's he, he got the call to play with Casey Chambers and... Yeah. Um, as much as we hate him for it. No, no, we love it. It's so good. Um, he was sort of torn um, because we've built this thing over 10 years and we're best mates and he's like, what do I do here? And I'm like, mate, if she asked me, there'd be no way I'd be saying no. So, yeah, get out get out of the van, you know. <laughs> um, and she's obviously an amazing songwriter, Hall of Fame, Aria person. like, And she's such a cool chick, man. Like, she's so down to earth and genuine too. And I think that's what appealed to Sid. It wasn't. I get to play with someone famous. It's like I get to play these really cool songs with yeah. someone who's really great in amazing venues. Um, yeah. And so we've got at the moment Jeremy Berg who plays with a band called Smokestack Rhino. They're from Melbourne. And we saw them play, I think it was it was at Mitchell Creek. And oh, yeah. we got out of the van and heard this goddamn, we got this fucking wave of noise to smash us. And we're like, who are these guys? <laughs> and... Um, yeah, it was Smokestack Rhino and I, I always just had in my head that he's an amazing drummer and we just got to know each other over the years 
Um, and he's motivated by the same things we are, you know, family, he loves his wife, he wants, you know, music to be his job and um, we could easily be in a van with this guy for 10 hours and that's the biggest thing. Yes, he's a great drummer, but he's also a great dude and um, so yeah. that's where we're at the moment. We've still got a, two amazing drummers, which we're so lucky to have. Absolutely. Because, you know, it's such a, a fickle thing at the moment, especially with the coronavirus, you know, on the edge of, you never know if you're going to get it, just catch a cold. You know, you can't even walk out your door now with the runny nose. So it's good to have depths who can not only just fill in um, for the night or for the few weeks or whatever, it's good to have a guy that you can go, all right, I'm going to six months, let's, let's give him a good run. Or, and it, yes. especially I know that playing with different dudes uh, over the years, it just brings out another side of your own musical palette that you might not have really experienced or you might not have pushed. So it's good to have, you know, different influences around you, I think, personally and musically to sort of push the limits a bit and a bit of fresh air, you know, it's always nice, change things up in that regard, I reckon. Yeah, I think, and also you, you look at your songs in a different way because we've been playing some of these songs for years and you, you really you break them down again. Oh, that's how this bit goes or, oh, yeah. okay, that's why we do that. It becomes muscle memory. So um, Jeremy actually learnt the songs almost too well because he was learning them from the recordings. It's like, oh, we don't do that bit because <laughs> over the past 200 gigs it didn't work or, you know. Yep. Um, so he learnt the songs better than we, we've ever known them. Um, but, yeah, it's it's great to have that depth and we've actually... We've even got a gig this weekend with Scott Owen from the Living End playing bass because Johnny can't do it. So it's oh wow, it's, um, okay. we've got this little family thing happening where we can get some people if worst comes to worst. Which I before COVID just wouldn't have happened. I, I don't think we would have thought about doing that. It, yeah, we would have just cancelled the gig, you know. Yeah. And yeah, I hate cancelling gigs. So it's good yeah. not to have to do that. Yeah, now well done for keeping the keeping the band happening. And yeah. yeah, I'm sure Scotty would be great. He's a bloody amazing bass player. He is, and he's a great dude too. I think we're sort of like the cockroaches of, of the blues roots world. You can't kill us. Like we'll just we'll be sixty, just still just <laughs> doing the thing. Everyone will be sick of us, but we'll we'll still be doing it. Uh, yeah, it keeps you young, at least young at heart. It does. Oh, that's right. Um, and speaking of energetic shows and sort of live performances. And, you know, we're not the spring chickens we used to be. Do you guys – how do you guys go during the week? Do you have, the, like, um, a lot of late nights? Um, probably – actually, no, you guys eat pretty well. That's another question yeah. I was going to have too is, like, uh, onto a dietary. You guys did that pretty well. Um, yeah, we tried to. I was, I was thinking, yeah. do you guys have, have, like, some sort of midweek exercise regime? Because, you know, typically musicians – you know, we don't live the healthiest of lives. So have a gym membership or do you go out and like walk the dog or yeah, totally. anything like so that? I think the older I've got and I think for me since Rona happened, I've been really conscious of wanting this to continue. Um, it showed us what it could be like if we don't have this in our lives. And I was like, you know what, I never want to feel that. Yeah. Um, so I'm super conscious of that, trying to eat way better, Um when I'm, I'm, I've got a cold at the moment and then the kids were sick before me. So I haven't been for a couple of weeks, but I go to the gym three times a week. I drop the kids off at school and then I go 
I'm one of those people that needs a routine. So that's part of my routine. I drop them off, go straight to the gym and then I come home. Um, I've recently stopped drinking, which is massive for me. Um, so that's been about five weeks. And I think I, my motivation there is to keep doing it, you know, and to have the the energy. I got home one Monday and I was hungover and I'd eaten shit. And I was like, you know what? I need, I need the energy because I organize events. I'm organizing this band and I can't afford to, and I didn't do any work that day. And I, it was like, you know what? I can't afford to have that day off. Yeah. It's just not an option. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're all making these conscious decisions for longevity. Um, and I think it's really important, but I also think you can't tell people to do that. Like, especially in our industry, you've got to, you've got to find your own way. Everything, everything that is bad for you is free for us, you know? So it's, <laughs> it's like, you want booze, you want drugs, you want riders with schnitzels and all the other shit. It's like, here, it's expected. Yeah. Um, so how many other jobs do you turn up to your work site and the employer goes, would you like a beverage? You know? Yeah. Here's a case of beer. What? You don't want it? Oh, you're soft. It's like, no, you're paying me to do a job. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. But, yes, we definitely try and now. We never used to be, but it's now we want that that longevity in this in this game. We're very conscious of that. You don't have the, the beer bottle slide anymore then? Or do you have a, a prop? No. <laughs> yeah, no, well, I don't. I've got to work that out. And, you know, we did Blues Fest and I had a champagne bottle and I was shooting it into the crowd. So I think I think you can get 0% champagne, so that's still good. Yeah, okay. There you go. Yeah, Done. there's 0% versions of all the tricks we have. <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's, let's talk about the dietary thing as well when you guys are on tour. I know that when I've been on the road with you guys... First thing you do is you stop in at the Woolies or somewhere and get pick up a, a bag of green stuff, vegetables and fruit that is. You don't yes. buy the other green <laughs> yeah, stuff true, from yeah. Woolies. Yeah. Um, but you're always consciously um, eating well, I think, which is good. You know, it's a bit of a trap as well in that regard to eat crap. And, you know, as, as good as that schnitzel tastes with a handful of chips, you know. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. But yeah, we have. No, I think if you do that four nights a week, so generally we're away three to four nights a week and at home, like the routine, it's it's so much easier to eat well. But I think once you hit the road and there's no kitchen or there's no whatever, it's really hard. So um, we try to book accommodation that has kitchens. um, That way we can save money, but also eat well. 
Um, and yeah, if if we can, we try and snack well. Um, I love I love smashing a burger and chips, but you do that four nights a week, and you're on a pretty quick road to a heart attack. Yeah, um, and just feeling sluggish on stage, you know. Um, yeah. So, so there's been times where we get free meals at venues that aren't healthy, and we just we just say no politely because we don't want to go down that path. Um, yeah, it's it's mainly if you're doing it as much as we are that it get it can get away from you. Yeah. No, very very good things to think about. Because um, yeah, it's definitely a long term industry if if you're in it for the the whole. Yeah, you and I don't. Think, there's no real age limit to what we're doing, so we don't have to be. We we could be doing this for the next thirty years, and I think I'd love to be doing that and give us the best chance to do that. It starts with the individuals, you know. Yeah, got another question for you, mate, about. Um, flying and touring with because you you take what four maybe five guitars on tour yeah i'm taking yeah usually four how does one manage manage that like is it a team effort i know that you you pick up the other guys and you all sort of turn up the airport together typically right so you've got like three hands to to carry all the instruments especially that double bass so that helps but how have you wrangled that? Um, I know you've got a pretty cool case that holds a few guitars, but maybe you can give us a little insight how 1920 turn up at the airport and little hacks that you've managed to, to work out. Yeah, so so we, Sydney Airport, we always park directly opposite the terminal. So that's a big one because it means you can drop the gear. I drop the gear with the other two guys and then I just quickly go drop the car back and I'm there with them at the check-in counter, you know, really quickly. And then on that means on the flip side, you're not waiting for a bus to transfer nine cases because we, we travel with all our merch. So yeah. generally speaking, we were traveling with four bags each, but now they've changed the allowance. APRA have, uh, sorry, Virgin have. So now we have three merch um, sort of, they're, they're from Bunnings, they're uh, aluminium sort of cases, I guess. There's three of them. I travel with my guitars. Sid travels with his cymbals. Johnny's got his double bass and, yeah, we just rock into the airport. And I think it's Sid's fan. <laughs> oh, yeah, Sid always comes with a fan, <laughs> like a literal fan, um, just because he's soft. But also we do play with a lot of energy and he's only little. Um, yeah, so that, that's how it looks. And with uh, for those that don't know, APRA, which is a songwriting group here in Australia, non-for-profit, um, they sort out royalties or whatever, you get a, a baggage allowance and it used to be... Um, better but it's I mean it's still good it's better than nothing we get three bags at 23 kilos each for free anything above that's 50 bucks um yeah so that's what we do and then we land we always have to get a car um at least a Kia Carnival or bigger pardon me and then yeah we just that's how we travel yeah I think the APRA thing's a great thing to tell people about if they don't know about it so it's it's a free to join Performing Rights Association, yeah, which helps with a lot of benefits actually. I think they have um, preferred yeah. insurance people and, yeah, and you get paid to do original music. So that's right. Definitely and sign up. Yeah, as, as the baggage thing is, is so important. So that's that's saved us thousands of dollars over the years. Yeah. So what, what guitars are you playing on, on stage, mate? I know you've got your National Res Electric you're playing now. You've retired the old Martinez. That's cool. <laughs> well, you yeah. ended up with a few of them, didn't you? I've got, you? I've got about three of yeah, I've got about three of them in my garage, just sitting there 
collecting dust and mould. <laughs> so you got your national, you got your Gibson uh, SG because you borrowed SIDS for a long time and really enjoyed the sound and the playability, so you bought your own. Is that how that came about? Yeah, well, I, I, I worked in a guitar store for 10 years and I never really played an SG. I just thought, whatever, you know, it's, it is it is what it is. It wasn't my vibe. And then I heard Gary Clark Jr. and I was like, you idiot. Like, why did you not ever think an SG was a thing? And so Sid let me borrow his. I trashed it. Um, and then <laughs> I got to the point where I think he was getting a bit funky with it, with me destroying his guitar. So I got my own. And it's a uh, 2016 61 reissue with like high gain pickups. Um, it's the sweat of my hand as I noticed today. The binding from the fretboard is starting to come off. Like it's 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 worked hard. This guitar, and I love it. I've got a, a Gibson three three nine as well that I saw on the wall of, a, of the same guitar shop I used to work at. And I've got a They're Taylor this smaller um, three three five style shape, right? Yeah, they are. Yeah. Um, just a beautiful shaped guitar, beautiful looking guitar, and not as big. Yeah, um, I've always wanted a hollow body, and I. I didn't really think of the smaller one as an option, but I saw it, it was secondhand and it looked brand new. And I thought, there's a go. Nice. And then I've got a Taylor 814 acoustic. Yep. And how's that holding up? Uh, the acoustics isn't actually holding up. It was in, it's with Jeff Marlier in Sydney. The, um, in the time that I bought it, that Taylor were using hide glue in their guitars for their bracing. And what they've found over the years is that bracing has basically just let's loose. So my guitar exploded from the, or imploded from the inside. Um, and I took it to Jeff and he's like, let me, let me suss out what this is. Cause he knew exactly what it was, but whether Taylor would do anything about it. And they're actually going to replace the whole guitar for me like oh, 10 great. years later. That's really cool. Which is fantastic. Yeah. I think that's amazing customer service on their behalf. Yeah. Um, and they're a bolt on. So they're sending them. Yeah, totally, man. Um, yeah, they're sending a body over and Jeff will bolt the neck, my old neck onto it, so it'll feel the same. Oh, uh, right. So the necks want, aren't actually yeah. set into the body. They're a no. separate. Yep. Okay. And what does the heel look like? I actually don't think I've really looked at it. Does it look like it's bolted on, like with a big neck plate yeah, they or slide. They slot in, so you don't – it's not like a, a, a strat or anything like that. You, you don't see that. It's They slot in and they screw from the inside. Oh, cool. Mm. I've got a 1930s K, like an arch top acoustic guitar, and that's got like one big bolt that goes from the neck into the body with a huge wing nut. So it's yeah, probably nice. a similar sort of engineering, but yeah. done <laughs> 100 years yeah. later. Yeah, that's right. So it'd be more internal and out of sight. But, yeah, essentially that's it. It's two bits of wood bolted together. Sweet. Okay. That's cool. Good on Taylor. So tell us, mate, you've got a new record coming out yep. and it's called call it what you want is that right yes yeah that's right <laughs> so you can call it what you want oh, i will <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah call yeah. it so i don't look yeah go whatever you want to call it um actually i don't have a name for it but i, I call it um music that the kids <laughs> like the kids love it i've been playing it yeah. a little bit here at home oh, cool. and in, in the car and mac awesome. mac loves um that having a good time he sings along to the chorus of that. ah yeah yeah
back up off the ground. Uh -uh, it's around and it's kids having a good time. That's been a bit of, that was a bit of a weird song and every one of our kids frost that. So yeah, right. I think once people hear I think once people hear it, maybe it's it's gonna be that catchy number, you know. So have these tunes not been road tested yet? They're a little bit fresh. Uh that one hasn't. A lot of them, half of them have, that one hasn't. Yeah. Um I don't really know why. It just just hasn't made it into the set list yet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're super excited about this album. It's really, it's gonna be a good one, I think. And did I read somewhere that's going to be a vinyl-only release for now? Yeah, so we're going to tour it as a vinyl and then we'll do the, the single releases. We've already released a couple of the singles, mm -hmm. um, but then we're going to release it digitally after the vinyl just because we've never done a vinyl before. Yep. And we think um, I really want to focus on that being the, the focal point really. Um, and then, you know, people will have to come to the shows to hear it. Yeah. Get them along and buy some vinyl. Nothing quite like That's walking right. out of a, of a gig and having a big 12-inch piece of wax under your arm. It's a good feeling. That's right. And it's gold too. The actual disc is gold and <laughs> sit to the artwork. It's, yeah, it's cool. So we've got our own gold record. That's why we did it. Full <laughs> ego. We may have paid for it, but who hasn't paid for a gold record? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I really enjoy it, mate. Um, compared to your old albums, like nothing against your earlier work, but I think this one's really a step up in terms of songs and production and all the tones are really thoughtful, I think. There's some pretty cool. nasty out there tones, but I mean like thoughtful as in like like a production sort of value. And yeah, also and I reckon your vocals are bloody strong, mate. They, yeah, I think everything's oh, really good. You. It's a great, it's a great record. Thank you. We this is the first one we actually did when we've been in the the room together. Like we've never recorded together, which sounds bizarre, but with our family lives and our touring schedule, we could never really get together. So we hired a house, and I think that's where the energy comes from. We hired a house for a week. It overlooked an amazing part of Jeringong on the south coast, and um, we just wrote songs and then played them, and then got up in the morning and if they were shit, we tried again, you know, it was great. It was so good to immerse ourselves in that. And we've never done that. And I think it's so important. I, that was the biggest learning from that. It was, we need to immerse ourselves. You know, there was the last album before that I was going through some stuff and I, I'd record for two hours and then go home. And then I'd go back to SIDS and record. And then we'd have to find little studios or booths here and there. It's like, it's so disconnected, so disjointed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, I think it's our strongest one, not just because it's our latest. I, I think it's, yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, it definitely sounds like a unit, like a band who's played together cool. um, for years on end and you're all working together. And, and I, I think that's the best way to record. Like if, if you can all be in the same room, might not even be the same take. You might have spliced, say, something from a previous take or whatever, but as long as the essence I think of the live band is in the room. It's definitely a key to making good music, especially in our in our field, in our blues roots sort of field. You know, we're not making pop records. We're not playing to click tracks. You know, I, I think it's meant to sound like a band, totally. So yeah, yeah, and that's totally yeah. what I I think you've you guys have achieved there. So that's great. Well done. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. 
So did sort of Sid sort of wear the producer's hat or you three guys sort of work together and produce yeah, this record it, yourself? it's mostly Sid. I'm, yeah, he, we did produce it ourselves, but it's mostly him. He's had, you know, way more experience in the studio and, you know, Johnny and I had come up with ideas and it was totally, anything was cool. Like it wasn't like it was Sid's way of the highway. Um, but he knows what will come across well on, a, on an album, you know, like you can, I find that on, on stage too, your guitar could be sounding so fucking cool and then you put a mic in front of it and it, through speakers or to Pro Tools, it just sounds lame. Yeah. Um, but Sid knows all the little tricks to get that vibe. Um, it have you seen the, the main ro- sorry. sorry, have you seen that Chuck Berry film, Hail, Hail, Rock and Roll? No, I haven't. There's a great scene in that where, because um, Keith Richards, the MD for it, it's basically Chuck's 60th birthday, I think, and he does this like live show at St. Louis in this big old hall that he wasn't allowed in when he was a kid. So they put on this show and yeah, Keith, Keith, the musical director, and like Steve Jordan's on drums and Clapton is on it and Etta James is on it. It's a huge, it's wicked. I, I totally recommend checking it out. There's this scene yeah, in there where sure. Keith walks up to Chuck's amp and like makes these adjustments. And Chuck goes to start the next song and he's like, whoa, 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 stop, stop. <laughs> and they have this like on stage Barney. It's it's hilarious. They both wow. like. Okay. Yeah. I want to see that. So is that in the actual film? I'm, oh, I don't know. The, the version I have is like a two-disc special where like disc two okay. is all the outtakes and all this stuff. I'm sure it's yeah. on YouTube. But, yeah, Keith okay. basically goes up to his amp and like changes the setting so it sounds better on the film. And Chuck's like, I've been sounding like this for 50 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, dig it. Okay, I'll That's check that great. out for sure. But, yeah, it helps to have someone like that in the band. It's he's Yeah, he's so amazing in the studio. Um, yeah, so the sound is all him. And uh, some of it was mixed by Nash Chambers, some of it was mixed by Sid, and then it was mastered by um, McCormack. So it was, yeah, it was a bit of a team effort. It was awesome. Sweet. And you got a few guest artists on there. I know that um, so Arlo Black's on there, right? Yep, yep. And the Hussey Hicks girls? Yeah, Lockie Dolly and, and Rashani as well. We just we just basically thought let's get our friends on it, you know. The Aloe Black one, that was a bit different. But, um, yeah, everyone brought their A game for it. We're stoked. Was that a bit of a probably a COVID inspiration like – or like was this recorded a couple of years ago or was it like fairly recent or give me a little yeah, time no, so frame? It started in August 2019. So it's it's nearly been three years. Yeah, okay. Um that's when it was started. Um but we've yeah, we've just chipped away at it. I, I think it was sort of finished about a year ago, but doing what we do, we need to tour it. So there was no no point releasing it. And, yeah, so we, we figured people were at home sitting around in their undies watching Netflix. They might as well sing on our album. And that's, yeah, that's what happened. Yeah, nice. It turned out great, that song. Uh, oh, What Thank a Night, you. right? Yeah, yeah. What a night, oh, what a night. Let's take our time.
Who played the lap steel on that? Sid did. Yep. A little talented bugger. He's a really, <laughs> yeah, he's a really nice lap player too. Yeah, right. Yeah. That old classic sli- big slides, heaps yeah. of legato notes, all the reverb and delays. Yeah. yeah, it's beautiful. So tell us about your slide work, mate. Do you play sort of half and half bottleneck on a live show? Yeah. So look, my my slide plane isn't amazing, but it's it gets it gets me where I need to be. Um, I was inspired by all the old guys. Um, when I was in high school, I once again went to the library and you could get 10 CDs um, from the library and I just got all these old blues CDs. I've never heard these guys before. Um, and that's how I got myself into that sort of plane and then obviously watching Matt Corcoran, um, Ash Grunewald and then Jeff Lang. Once again, every time I need to know whether I'm good at slide, I just watch <laughs> him and realise that, okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so I sort of, yeah, I'm using a big thick brass slide on my national Resoletric with an amp turned up, overdrive pedal and yeah, off you go. And do you mess around with tunings? Are you more of like an open D guy, open G guy, or do you just like playing standard? Yeah. What's what's your bag? I use both. Yeah, Yeah. I use open D, open G, open C. I tried using standard tuning, but I just found my brain was so wired to the positions of an open tuning that, it just didn't work. So I, I went to Kirk LaRange, who's an amazing slide player. I went to him for a lesson just because I was like, that is the guy, the guy for standard sort of slide playing, I think, around these parts. And I tried, but I just couldn't couldn't really get it. And I think for me, the setup of the guitar is really important for that. Yeah. Um, I use a thick slide because I use 16s, you know, 16 to 56 strings. Um, wow. Yeah, I th- I know guys use thinner slides with thinner strings, but that's just my setup. It gives it, because we're a three-piece, we need that volume and the the fullness. So I noticed that um, you've got your own signature series from Kurt Mangan. Yeah. Tell me about that, mate. Yeah, so I I use 16 to 56 nickel wounds and I couldn't find any in Australia. They just stopped making them for some reason. Um, Martin used to make some. <clears throat> I think, I think maybe national do, but they're thirty bucks a set, and I was like, that yeah. I can't afford. I use, I use, if they're not coated, I'm using a set every three gigs at least. Um, so I just googled it, and Kurt Mangan make their own, and then I ordered some, and I liked them, and I just said, do you do artist stuff? There's no one that sells these here. And they're like, yeah, sure. So I sell them as well, um, and they've got my picture on it, which is cool. And then they do. <laughs> And then I, I use like a, on my SG, I use 11 to 52s with a wound G. And um, I, yeah, I hit them up for that one as well. And they, yeah, they send me over some every few months. That's cool. That's a great um, yeah, it's really- business model on their behalf too. Like if, if you want a custom set, instead of going to buy a bunch of singles, you can get whatever you want in a pack with your name on it. It's cool. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's really good. So that's, um, yeah, it's good. And it means I get the, the gauge I want because you just get used to what you're used to, you know, like whether they're better or worse than others, it's just what works for me. So how do you go with a wound G? Like did you come to that because of you were doing like lower tunings or is that more like an action thing or it's pretty yeah, so untypical use, for an electric player, right? Yeah, I, I think because I play so heavily, like I'm more of a, a whacker than a player um, and – I tuned to E flat as well. So to get that um, 
the pen, it's it's not that hard to bend because it's you know it's less tension um sure but i just found i like that the fullness of a wound g and how do you go with the setups i know that if you get like an old gibson with a wraparound bridge a lot of them have got the bridges are sort of intonated for wound g's yeah okay i didn't know that do you have to like fit around with the g intonation a bit to get it sorted or is it pretty much just no nah, it's it's pretty much set like i i learned to set up guitars um when i was at the guitar store so i just do it all myself and i probably should do it it's a classic thing like you treat your guitars worse than you would other people's um <laughs> but yeah no it's all good the sg holds its tuning obviously bend the strings in a lot the national's great for tuning um i've never really it's more that if i you know intonation stuff i notice conditions because we uh you know last weekend we were in bendigo and it was minus three then this weekend has gone by what was 23 degrees on the brisbane river yeah so, so I find the guitar freaks out and doesn't know which climate it is in. Um, so, so that's that's how I find trouble with tuning and intonation. It's more the conditions. Yeah. Especially flying too. They get really cold up in the air. Yes, definitely. Um, have you had any issues with that sort of stuff when you fly them around? Like anything no, broken or bits falling off? Or No, just detune it, obviously. That's a hot tip if you don't know to do that. Part of me, but our double bass players had a headstock break off, and you know the cases get pretty smashed up. But that's what they're there for. Yep. And Virgin have been awesome, man. Like, if there's ever an issue, they sort it out. And when you say detune, do you have a tuning that you go to, or do you just like I'm, slack them off? Yeah, slack them right off. That's what I do. Um, just because the amount of tension up there in the altitude is, it, it can snap necks. Yeah. And I've seen that when I worked at the guitar store. So. Yeah, yeah, it's not tip. an old wives' tale. Yeah. Was that a bit of a childhood sort of dream working at a guitar store? Did you get to see some cool instruments, learn some cool stuff and sort of meet some cool people? Yeah, I did. I, I would never say it was a dream. Every, and I probably should have said this at the start. Everything I've ever done is to feed 1920. You know, like I worked at a phone shop. That money fed this band. I worked at the guitar store because the owner was amazing and would let me tour for three months and then I'd come home and have a job. Um, but yes, I learned so much. I learned a lot about business as well from the owner of Hayworth's. Great. Um, yeah, holistic man, like learn about amps, guitars, and it was exciting. Like you're, you're selling joy. A little kid comes in for his first guitar and it's like, yes, that's why we're doing this. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, as you get older, you can get lost up in your own ego or drive or ambition, but really we're just 12 year old kids that want to rock out. like really that's all we're doing we're just scratching that inch it's just that now we have to pay bills yeah um and i think if you forget that that's when you become that grunky grumpy fucking musician that shouldn't be doing it anymore like it's fun it's meant to be fun yeah it's meant to be fun and like you said make sure you play with people that you enjoy their company they're a good hang because you yes you spend more time in a in a capsule with them than you do on stage making music so that's a huge That's right. part of a group. Yeah, it, it's almost all of it, really. Like you can see people on stage who don't get along or don't connect, and you make those connections and that that depth in that relationship happens in the van, it happens on the plane, it happens when you're late or the you know, gear gets lost, all that stuff builds that relationship. Yep. And if you yeah, if you don't have that, you can you can see it a mile away. Yeah, you can smell it. Yeah, totally. totally. 
I've been asked by a mate down here, Brad Von Rock, his name is. He's a cool guitar player and musician up around Devonport area. He's wondering, do you, or not do you, but uh, <laughs> everyone in the guitar community, have you got a string-changing ritual? He reckons he's got the same string winder he had, you know, his very first one and he sort of, it's like a real, I don't know, real process for him. Do you, do you find yourself enjoying that task or is it more like just get it done? Yeah, get it off, get it on. Like my guitars, they're all trash because they're tools to me, you know, like I'm not precious. String comes off, string goes on. I, If I've got a, a bench set up, I do have a little workshop sort of set up in a, in a storage space. If I can get there, um, but even last weekend I was changing strings in the van, you know, 12-seater bus in the front, just, you know, getting thrown around on the highway trying to restring the guitar. Just yeah. do it. Yeah. Just do it. Good. Yeah. You got any inspirational artists or music that you've been listening to? Could be last week, could be like for the last 10 years. Is there anything that you've been really chewing on and loving the the vibe or the tones or the skill or the yeah. songs or I anything think like that? I keep this 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 is a three-part answer. I think there's two people in particular that I keep, you know, when you're like, I don't know what to listen, what I want to listen to, or um, Foy Vance is one for me. I just love his songs and his songwriting. Sorry, not Foy Vance, Vance Joy. Sorry, <laughs> there's too many, there's too many joys and fancies and stuff. Um, sorry, so Vance Joy um, is amazing songwriter. Um, guitar player wise, Gary Clark Jr. Every time just makes me, yeah just want to play, you know? Yeah. I, I struggle to go to gigs because I just see these gigs. And I'm like, I just want to get home and play. Um, <laughs> so Gary Clark Jr. And I think my my kids are now learning to play guitar and piano. And I think the inspiration is just watching the joy that music gives. You know, we forget that first moment we heard that song that blew our minds. We forget that first time we could play a chord. Um, but when you see that again, when the circle when it comes around full circle, it's like, yes, that's, that's inspirational. It's like, yeah, we're making an inanimate object sing, you know, never, never doubt that. I saw that thing. It came up on Facebook. It's like, never doubt the fact that you can do that. It's um, yeah. Never question your ability because you're making an an inanimate object sing. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That's very cool. Yeah. I'd been a bit of time at the local school every Thursday and you hear a lot of kids go oh I can't sing I can't sing but it's like absolutely you can sing like don't let yeah, anyone totally. don't let anyone tell you that you can't like you've got a voice yeah get it out there like just or find another thing that'll get your story across like it doesn't have to be singing yeah. like, um, try anything yeah. like go for it go wild yeah. go crazy such a yeah. great you got to have that belief yeah absolutely Cool, man. Well, I reckon we wrap it up for today, Kane. Thanks very much for hanging out with us on the potty. No worries. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and you're coming back down to Tassie in a little while, I see. Yeah, we've got a – September, is it? We've got that bush dance. Yeah, bush – no, we're in July too. We're doing a bush dance in in Hobart. Ah. Maddie from Street Eats is organising it. Sweet. We're just doing – yeah, flying down for that, which will be cool. Excellent. Yeah, and you're doing a truca too, aren't you? Yeah. I'll be up at a chuka. Fuck yeah, that's mad. What yeah. are, you, are you doing as a three-piece or? Yeah, I'm bringing my bass player, Sim, over and I'm hooking up with a drummer yep. from Melbourne. So we'll just cruise up there and jam out for a few days. And Yeah, yeah. cool. Should be a hoot, man. We'll 
try and get on stage with each other, try and make a noise. Yeah, that'd be sick. I'd love that. We, I think, um, yeah, shoot me through your schedule and we'll sort something out, man. That'd be great. Yeah, at least go out for a curry if all else fails. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yes, please. Cool, man. All right, we'll take it easy. Enjoy your day awesome. and I'll catch up with you yep. soon. Awesome, Pete. Thanks, man. Cool. Thanks, Kane. See ya. Thanks for listening, folks, to another episode of Say It With Guitars. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast, share it around to your mates, leave a good review, and hopefully we'll see you next time.